Well, welcome, Parents Weekend. Um, if you are a parent here, I just want to um, brag on your kids for a second and say, one of the things that I'm always impressed by is that um, college students show up, and they don't have to. And I know that's just like kind of like an obvious of what's happening in this room right now. Um, but man, when I was in college, like that was not the thing on my mind for many of you. That's your story. It's like when I was in college, church, when I didn't have to, like you guys go to church on purpose. I know some of you are thinking, are they just here because it's Parents Weekend? The answer is probably, okay? But that's just at this service because they would go to the one of the other two services um, if they weren't at the 915. But we want to say we're so glad you're here and thankful you're here. My name is Ben, and I have the honor of serving as a lead pastor here at Downtown Community Church. I'm going to pray for us as we get started um, this morning. Jesus, thank you for the time that we have together. And I pray that you would help it to be beneficial to us no matter where we are in our walk with you. For those of us who perhaps walked in this morning and It's the first time donning the doors of a church or a religious place like this in a long time to the person who has been faithfully following you for a long time, Jesus. I pray that you would individualize today to each and every one of us. Meet us where we are through your word and through your spirit, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we started this series called Are You the One? Are You the One? And we flipped it on its head the first week. And if you've been tracking with us, you know this, but if you haven't been, let me give you a little bit of catch up. Um... So are you the one assumes that I'm asking the question, are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the one? And that assumes that there is the one. And the problem is, and we said this week one, is the Bible says very little about who to find. In other words, how to pick the one. But it says a whole lot about who to be. And so the question that we're asking in this series is not, are you the one that I'm trying to find? The question is, are you the one? Are you the one, as one of my favorite pastors, Andy Stanley, says, are you the one um, that the one you're looking for is looking for? Are you the becoming the person that God has called you to be? And by necessity of that, you are becoming the one that the person that you're looking for is ultimately trying to find because we can't control the other person. And so all of this series basically has to do with who I am. And in fact, it has to do with who I am, not just specific to a romantic relationship, but in all relationships in life. In other words, this will help you in your friendships. This will help you in your work. This will help you in your parenting. This will help you in relating to your parents because, you know, you look around and your parents is like, man, when we didn't, when when I was in school, we didn't even have computers. And you're like, what? You know, I've got a computer on my, on my watch, right? Like, I mean, they're just, they're just kind of everywhere and there's different gaps. But this series aims to say that What we do in the normal relationships of life and who we are becoming when we come to marriage, it is simply the byproduct or the effect of all of the causes and the parameters and how we act in relationships. In other words, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. You are ready. And as you're looking for the person, these are good indicators that you are becoming the one. And in fact, in becoming the one, you'll know who and what to look for. And so we've been through a couple weeks, and I don't particularly want to rehash all those, but if you missed, you're welcome to go back and, and check those out. But we're actually going to revisit a couple of verses, or a verse specifically today, that we uh, talked about in the first week of the series. And I want to intro it this way. Um, I want to talk about today the, the role of trust in a relationship, the role of trust in a relationship. Uh, if you 
know anything then about relationships, then you know basically the bedrock of relationships is trust, right? For our family, we have these mottos with our kids. They're kind of family axioms, if you will. And one of those uh, with our kids is the worst thing that you can do is lie. The worst thing that you can do is lie. We tell our kids all the time, you know, I talk to Rhodes, he's my four-year-old, and even my six-year-old, I said, the worst thing you can, can do is lie because relationships are built on trust and lying tears the fabric of that relationship. Now, to be clear, my four-year-old has literally no clue what that means, right? They're not like, wow, you know, the bedrock and the foundation and it tears the material of it. Like, that's language that they're just like, dad, can I go play outside, you know? Can I have some candy or a cookie or a snack? And I just, you know, sugar for days, right? That, that, that's all they care about. But here's what I know, I just want to know, is that I want them to, as early as they can remember, know that trust is vital to a relationship. Trust is vital to a relationship. And we look for every opportunity to, to reiterate that. In fact, when they violate that and when they break that, which if you have kids, you know is all the time, right? And you try to not take it disrespectfully or degradingly, but they just don't know. It's like, man, if I had a nickel for every time, so at bedtime, you know, here's things you can do. Go brush your teeth, wash your face, go potty, yada, yada. Like, hey, did you go potty? Yeah. Did you flush? Yeah. I'm like, dude, I was right. I, I, was, I was right outside. Um, and I would have heard the toilet flush, right? But they're just like, I promise, Dad. And I'm like, I promise Satan has entered you, right? <clears throat> but whenever that happens, we reiterate, we reiterate. Rhodes or Ava, the most important thing you can do is tell the truth. The worst thing that you can do is lie because lying kills relationships. And while we know that to be true intuitively, what I think happens is as we grow up, um, for most of us, for most of us, outright deception and lies happens, sure. But I think what most of us experience as it relates to trust in a relationship isn't an explicit, I am telling you the wrong information on purpose. Most relationships that have a sense of trust or of trust issues or where trust becomes infractioned on is when I have an expectation of how you're going to behave or you have an expectation of how I'm going to behave. And again, this is in every relationship. So let's just make it accessible and say, at work, at work, here's the expectation. At our place, we have meetings and they start on time. At our place, we have meetings and they start a little bit late. At our place, we have meetings and they have an agenda item. At our place, we have an agenda item and they're all communicated beforehand, right? But I have an expectation that people like us do things like this. People like us do things like this. And I have an expectation. And what happens inevitably as an adult is at some point, our expectations don't align with our experience. And honey, you said you're going to be home at this time. And you're not. And I would say, well, I never am, right? I'm always a respectful 15 minutes late to just about most things in life, right? <clears throat> but there comes a point where our expectations and our experience don't align. And here's part of this. is not all of us have unearthed what are our expectations. But you have expectations. And I have expectations. And we all have expectations, you have expectations. Let me give you a couple examples just in relationships context. You have an expectation about how in marriage, if you're going towards marriage, if you are married, if you're single and hope you're married, if you're single and I never want to be married or I was married and good grief, right? But you have an expectation um, of how you're going to spend money. 
You have an expectation of the types of things, the level of saving, the level of investing, and the level of spending, and the things that you'd like. You have an expectation of the type of house you'd like to have. You have an expectation of the type of car you'd like to drive. And for part of us, the problem is, is as we get older, the expectation gets higher and higher and higher, and the bill gets higher and higher and higher, right? And so we live kind of in and towards that expectation. Uh, You have an expectation. I have an expectation of what we want our kids to be like. Something we don't talk about a lot in premarital is we have an expectation of how we want to discipline our kids. We have expectations about how we're going to communicate, how we're going to resolve conflict. And in fact, what we're going to talk about next week is how we bring so much of our history and our experience into those expectations. But we all have expectations. And the problem is, is that sometimes they're communicated and sometimes they're not. But when the expectation doesn't meet with the experience, the question is this, is what do you put in the gap? What do you put in the gap? What do I put in the gap? Because here's what happens. There is a narrative that we create. And in this narrative, we fill in the gap with something. We fill in the gap with our version of what makes sense to us, and we create a narrative based on the data points, right? And so let me tell you this. If you don't believe me, have your spouse, if you're married, have your spouse come home, they're angry, and they slam the door shut. Inside, you are telling yourself, or you can say your roommate, or you can say your parent, right? Whoever it is, when that person comes home, they slam the door shut. There is something that you're making up in your mind to say, this is why that's happening. This is why that's going on. This is what they're doing. And this is what probably happens. And most times, to be honest, it has to do with me. They're mad at me. They're upset with me. They're not happy. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes that's not. But here's what I want to talk about today. When we were in premarital, when Lindsay and I were in premarital counseling, and we were talking through this, one of our, our, our mentors, you know, our kind of marital mentors, um, Richard and Elizabeth Albertson, who did our premarital and who are over a ministry called Live the Life, who does a ministry you know, dedicated towards marriage and families, they said this, is one of the dominant predictors of marital happiness and satisfaction is what you put in the gap between what you experience and what you expect. So let me ask you this, just introspective. How do you fill that gap? How do you fill that gap? How do you fill that gap at work? How do you fill that gap with your roommate? How do you fill that gap with the people that you experience on somewhat of a day-to-day basis, regardless of where that experience is? Because that begins to inform the narrative that we cause. Now, not, you know, you know coincidentally, um, Paul actually talks about this, and he talks about it in a little bit of a derivative way, but in a way that I think is really insightful for us. If you remember week one, we talked about 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, which the biggest tragedy of 1 Corinthians 13 is that 1 Corinthians 13 turned into a marriage verse um, at a ceremony, right? It says, oh, love is patient, love is kind. In fact, let me just, let me just read it for you so that we can all be like lovey-dovey and hold hands and sing kumbaya together. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful, which is probably a good sermon in and of itself. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices in the truth. And so we like to take those, that set of verses, and we like to say, okay, so this is what that looks like in a marriage or in a romantic setting. But Paul says, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. This should describe us in every relationship. 
This is not explicitly geared and pointed towards a romantic relationship, but these descriptors, this is what love is, this is what love does in every single relationship. And with all the forward action that this has, it's like he kind of pauses for a second. And he's about to say a bunch of things really quickly. But as Paul does, speaking to this church at Corinth, which is kind of a crazy place, it's kind of a wild place, it's a really immoral place, it's a place who kind of does whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, you know, we'll call it spring break, right? So this is the city of Corinth that Paul is speaking to, and as he says this, he says, let me tell you a couple things about what happens with the assumption or the underlying idea of what happens when we don't have our experience line up with our expectation. He says, so love bears all things. Love bears all things. If you've got your NIV, it says it a little bit different way. Um, it says, love always protects. Now, this little word in the Greek um, that, that's bears or protects, um, it's, it's this little word that is a derivative from a word that basically means kind of like a roof or a covering or a level of protection. And so here's what Paul begins to say. When there's a gap between our expectation and our experience, love protects. Love protects. In other words, love goes out of its way to not perpetuate a false narrative. Let me say that again. Love goes out of its way. It protects. It bears. It, it makes sure that you're covered with what you need. Love protects. It does not perpetuate a false narrative. And you think, well, how relevant could that be? Well, I don't know. How many times have you sat beside somebody else and complained about the person without actually talking to them? Right? We don't, well, I don't perpetuate a false narrative. I'm just frustrated. Okay. It says it protects all things. Love looks at the person next to you or the person across from you, or the person who you're married to, or the person who your roommate's with, or the person who your coworker's with, and loves, sees the potential of what things are saying, people are saying, what the narrative is that's perpetuated, what people are feeling in the gap, and, and, and love stops and says, not so with me. I am going to choose to not perpetuate that narrative. In that gap, I'm going to choose to protect, not to perpetuate. It says, love protects all things. <clears throat> love bears all things, and love, and this is tough, believes all things. Now, for being honest, this is, this is really the difficult part, right? Because for me to believe all things, it seems like that sets me up to be taken advantage of, right? Because let's, let's, let's just play this out. If I believe everything that everybody says, and if I just say, oh, it's just going to work out for the best, oh, it's just going to work out for the best, oh, it's just going to work out for the best, then doesn't that set me up to be taken advantage of? And I think that that's a good point, but I want to pause on that point and readdress that point at the end, because here's what he's saying. Love chooses to assume the best, not the worst. Love chooses to assume the best, not the worst. So if it protects you, if it protects me and doesn't perpetuate a false narrative, I am going to actively choose to put a positive narrative in the gap between expectation and experience. So when that person is late, let's call him Ben for hypotheticals, 
when that person is late, here's the question. What do you assume? What do you assume? Do you assume that they're late because they were just twiddling their thumbs and have nothing else to do? Or did you assume that they were late because they were busy and they had a bunch of stuff going on and they kind of tend to try to pack too much into a short day? Again, hypotheticals here. But come on. With your roommate. You come home and, this, and, you, and your expectation was that we were going to keep this place clean and it's not clean. Uh, is, your, is your narrative that you fill in the gap, is that that this person is just a slob, they're lazy and they don't care about people? Or is it that maybe they're busy and they're stressed and they got a lot going on and they just didn't have time? Well, when we're with our kids... When we're our kids and they're not performing maybe in school, they're not performing as, as we thought they would or as they hoped we would. Here's the question. Are we taking the time to actually examine the narrative that we're creating? Because here's the real danger in this, by the way. We create narratives intuitively, oftentimes unknowingly, and almost always unexamined. We create narratives intuitively. We create narratives almost as a, as a byproduct of how we think, we take data points, connect the dots, make a narrative out of this thing, and we do it, and we almost always don't actually realize the narrative that we're creating. So it says, okay, so at every opportunity, at every opportunity, love fills that gap with a positive expectation. Let me tell you why that's, that, that, that's important. That's, that's incredibly um, beneficial when we were, when we were um, doing our premarital, that's what Richard was saying. He was like, man, the, the predominant predictor of marital happiness and satisfaction is that love assumes the best when there's a gap between expectation and experience. In fact, let me just tell you, we're going to talk about a couple more things. If you don't hear anything else, that might be the most important thing. Because here's what has happened on the other side of it. For some of you, you've been the one who let the experience down. Or who let the expectation down, right? Your, ex- your experience didn't meet that expectation. And when we're the one who has the missed expectation, when we expected something and it didn't happen, then we want to jump to a conclusion. But what happens when we are the one who breaks that expectation? We want them to know the story. We want them to know the context We want them to understand what's happening in life. We want them to understand the pressures that we're under, the things that are going on, and all of a sudden you get frustrated and sometimes buy into that narrative about yourself. And it becomes somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Let me say this. What you begin now, if you're single or dating or, you know, engaged, what you begin to tell yourself now when there is a gap between experience and expectation will play out in your marriage. It will play out in your dating. It will play out in your parenting. And it will play out in how you think about your parents. It just does. So he says, this is what love is. Love... When love has a question mark, love chooses to believe the best, or chooses to believe the best. So he said, love, it always protects. It always trusts. He says, love always hopes. And this hope is something that we don't talk about very often. We kind of know conceptually that hope is a good thing, that hope is a positive thing oftentimes. But, but we don't really talk about this in the context of what he's meaning this. Because basically what he's saying is he's saying, hey, love protects 
And love assumes the best, but when that assumption is repeatedly infringed on, you know what love does? Love hopes and love believes and love trusts that things can and will get better. Love believes, here's what love believes, that you're not a bad person, that you're a good person that's made some bad decisions. Love believes and love trusts and loves hopes that you'll come to the awareness or you'll come to the realization or that you will come to the conclusion. And isn't this true? Isn't this true? Isn't this true? We have a difficult time doing this to other people, but we all want this for people to do to us. We have a difficult time doing this to other people, but we all want somebody else. If we're continuing to make bad mistakes, we, the last thing we want is for somebody to give up on us. You say, well, Ben, what does this even look like? Like, is this real life? Yes, absolutely. And if you're a parent, you do this every day with your kids, right? Because those little jokers, I can't tell you how many times I've told my kids to put on their shoes. They don't put on their freaking shoes, right? So I put on your shoes. They're like, I'm like, y'all, I know y'all heard me. Like, sometimes I clap. I'm like, hey, that wasn't a good enough clap. Hey, right? Just because I'm like, y'all are like in like kid zone. And especially when kids are playing, they're in kid zone. You cannot get them jokers out of it. You got to do something like aggressive to get them out of it. Maybe if you're a better parent than me, you don't have to do something quite as aggressive, right? But, but with our kids, we would never think, we would never think, let me tell you say this. With our kids, we would never think they are beyond hope. But we can easily get there with our spouse or with our coworker. And I know inside there's something that's pushing back and something saying, well, let me tell you my story. And, and I understand that. One, just give me a second. So love protects and it doesn't perpetuate false narratives. Love always assumes the best and it trusts that it's true. Love always hopes. It holds out for the positive in spite of the negative. And love always perseveres. Or as the ESV says, it endures all things. Uh, Endurance is basically, um, it's interesting. So this Greek word that's used to say endures is actually um, in the non-Bible version of it. It's It's a military expression that's taught and that's said to at all costs, it holds the position. At all costs, it holds a position. At all costs, if we're in a fight and we're in a war and we're all this kind of stuff and we've got this ground, we've secured this ground, at all costs, it tries to hold and to assume that position. And so when I decide not to perpetuate and I decide to put in a positive narrative and assume that the false narrative is not what I ought to assume. And then when I continually hope, perhaps when that narrative is not met and when hope is continually disappointed, it continues to endure. Let me tell you why this is powerful for you to do. Because for, for most of us, we think about this and we think about us extending this to the other person. In the context of a relationship, especially a marriage relationship, if you do this and someone continually takes advantage of you doing that, you know what you should do? Break up. Let me tell you what your mom or your dad, you already, they probably said 15 times, and your aunt, your uncle, and your grandma, because she's nice and she's kind of, she's going to say, this, she's going to say, sweetheart, I'll pray for you, you know. 
right? Like, like in that, let me tell you this. If you're married, if you're married and, and you're experiencing this and you think, man, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, and it sounds nice, it sounds interesting, it sounds, you know, whatever, but, but I just don't know because my spouse is going to do this. Let me tell you, let me tell you, oftentimes our spouses respond and react to the things that we dictate and the things that we do. Because the reason I think this is important and this is kind of on a subconscious level, so we're going to get a bit therapy here for a second. And by the way, um, next week, Lindsay's speaking with me, and she is a therapist, um, so it's going to be awesome. Um, she's, uh, she's, got, she's got more master's degrees than our last name is long. That's how many letters and accreditations. It's going to be ridiculous. Um, anyways, brilliant, and she's going to talk about kind of the past and how I bring that into our, in our context and into our relationships. But, but to get a little bit underneath the surface, I heard this uh, this. YouTube video. That sounds ridiculous. It's like, uh, by the way, now whatever I say, nobody's like, I'm not listening, okay? So this was a video. Maybe it wasn't a YouTube, but it was a video um, that Dylan sent me. Dylan Neal is our guy's, guy's college um, discipleship director. And um, Dylan sent me this video of one of his, uh, his classes, um, lectures for seminary. And this guy had this beautiful example that I think, thought like, it, it captures this. And he talked about it, and he said, when I do premarital counseling, this is what I do. I have people make a list, two lists, actually. On the left, I want you to write down everything that you love about your spouse. I want you to write down everything that's positive. Man, they're, they're, they're nice, they're kind, they're servant-hearted, they're aggressive, you know, manly, I don't know, they drive a truck, you know, whatever it is, right? Like, listen, you know, here's the music, or this is what they do, you know, you know. So here's all the things I love about our spouse. Now, when you walk down the aisle, when I walk down the aisle, when we walk down the aisle, that's the list that we're operating off of, right? That's the list. And so he says, okay, so I want you to write down a list of all the things that you love about your spouse, and then I want you to write down a list of all the things that you don't like about yourself, as honest as you can be. And he says, you know, you'll have to share this with me, you know, share this with other people, but I want you to just write down all the things that you don't like about yourself. What are the things, what are the insecurities, what are the deficiencies, what are the things perhaps from the past that got brought up? Like, write down all of the things that are your insecurities and your deficiencies, all the things that you don't like about yourself. He said, and then I want you to know this, when you get married, you operate out of the list of yourself, not the list of the other person. Isn't this true? Now, this is, this, is, this is according to Ben. This is just my experience. Isn't it true that when we fill that gap with a negative narrative, that negative narrative is reflective of what's happening internally with us, not what's happening with the other person, or at least rarely. When we intuitively jump to a negative assumption that they're late, and the reason that they're late is because they just don't care, and the reason that they just don't care is because they don't care about me, and the reason that I feel like they just don't care about me is because I don't feel like I'm valuable. Or I'm important because I perhaps grew up in a family that didn't put a lot of priority on me and I kind of felt abandoned. And not that everything goes to that deep existential level, but isn't it true? If you were to examine, if I were to examine, if we were to examine the narratives that we create, most of the narratives are the negative assumptions that we have about ourselves, not the positive assumptions that we have about our spouse. And I know someone is, is, is pushing back right now. And, they, and honestly, you should. Because at this point, you're thinking, okay, well, that's ridiculous. Because if we did that, we would never have 
honesty in our marriage. We would never have honesty in relationships. We would never have honesty as a boss. And as a boss, at some point, you have to go and say, hey, I've consistently said this is the expectation, but this is what the experience has been. This is what you produced, and there's a big gap, and you might have your last day here today because of the level of gap, right? Happens. But but here's what assuming the best does. Here's what love does. Love says, I know this to be true about you, and this is my experience with you. Will you help me to fill in the gap because this doesn't make sense to me? Because I know that you mean better than that. You know how our fights normally go? It's an infringement of trust, and it's an infraction of trust. And you've done this, and I expected this, and you're wrong, and I'm hurt. And that might be true. That might be 100% true. But come on, when someone comes to you and brings some thoughts and brings some ideas, you don't want them to say, here's all the reasons you're wrong. You would love someone to come up to you and say, hey, man, I've been going through some stuff and I've been thinking some stuff and I've consistently had this expectation and here's been my experience. And in light of my expectation and my experience, man, there's just been this gap and I find myself beginning to put a narrative, uh, a negative narrative in that gap. And so would you help me to fill that gap with what's actually going on. Because I don't believe that's you. I don't believe you want to be like that. I don't believe that's who you are, but I can't help but acknowledge that there has been a consistent gap over time. Because you know what love does? If love protects, if love endures all things, if it protects all things, believes all things, hopes all things, love assumes that there is a reason and a reasonable thought of why that was infringed on, it doesn't assume that it's negative. And you know what I think I like the best about this whole thing? Is it gives somebody else the opportunity to speak. It gives somebody the opportunity to tell their story. Because you've had time, and I've had times, and we've all had times that there were things that we did and we just wished somebody would pause long enough to ask a question. Every single person in here fills a gap with something. Every single person in here fills that gap with something. The question is what? And the most loving thing that we can do is to assume the best. And when the gap becomes too big, we ask a question that comes from an assumption of the best, not an assumption of hurt. In fact, for us, that's, that's part of our marriage. We'll come to each other at times and say, hey, this is what I've expected. We don't use these terms necessarily, but, it's, but here's what I've seen, and here's what I'm telling myself. Here's the narrative, is that when you came home and you slammed the door and you saw that the house was dirty, I thought that you thought that I was like the worst human being possible, and I am so sorry. And it's like walking in and saying, no, my boss was just a jerk. I had an incredibly stressful day. It was long. I'm frustrated, and I walked in the door, and it had nothing to do with you. Every time I go and do a wedding, which I had the opportunity at times to do, I don't know if you knew this, but our congregation is pretty young, so there is a lot of folks getting married. It's in the water fountain, I think. Every time I have the opportunity to do a wedding, um, <clears throat> one of the things that, that I know to be true is that the couple walks down the aisle and they say, I hope. 
One of the things I know to be true is the couple walks down the aisle and they say, I think. But, but almost every wedding, I have the opportunity to, to take a step back and say, here's what you need to know. For people who, you know, who I know well and people who love Jesus well and, and it's common that they're like, man, I just want people to see Jesus, to know Jesus, you know, because of this happened, I want you to present the gospel. And okay, that, that, that's wonderful because Christ's primary metaphor for our relationship to him is a husband and wife. That, that's great. But here's what I say. Your marriage, your marriage is the best sermon you will ever give. Your marriage is the best sermon that you will ever, ever give. Because there are times, inevitably, there are times, inevitably, when that gap is filled with hurt, when that gap is filled with pain, and when that gap is filled with sacrifice. And we live in a day and in a culture that says, I am going to love you so long as you are lovable. But the gospel, and this is why Jesus is so, well, Jesus is so vital because he's Jesus. But this is why understanding Jesus in the gospel is so important. Because what the gospel says is this. It says that I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I have rebelled. I am sinful. I've known the good that I ought to do, and I didn't do it. I have sinned intentionally. Regardless of whether my moral compass is what the Bible says, or what my mommy and daddy says, or what grandma says, or what my aunt says, or my uncle says, or whoever says it, right? Or even if it's just I have self-determined what I said. We have all violated that and God in his perfection cannot have imperfection in his presence and so God saw that knew that and he died for us not because we were lovable but because we aren't that is not me earning my way into God's good graces it's me accepting the sacrifice that was made for me and his name is Jesus and there will come times in your relationship there will come times in all of our relationship where our spouse will need to love us, even though we aren't lovable at the time. And come on. Isn't that the type of marriage that you want? It's the type that feels freeing because you know that you are loved. You know that they assume the best, and you know that at times there's going to be this intentional choice that they make, that they choose to love you, care for you, sacrifice for you, not because you deserve it, but as an expression of who their Father is to them, as an expression and a mirror of who Jesus is to them. So here's all I want to know, or here's the one, the one thought I want you to leave with today. When there is a gap between your expectation and your experience, do you fill that gap with 1 Corinthians 13, 7, which, by the way, is the manifestation of who Jesus is? In other words, this is what Jesus would do. Because to us, Jesus bears all things protects us all things, including the weight of our sin and our shame. He hopes all things. He loves us. He sees us. He believes all things. He knows what's true. He knows what's true of us. And he chooses in the middle of that to believe the best. And he, he knows everything. So it's kind of this crazy concept. But, but this is God who has hope and who endured all things, including the cross for us. He in the gap between the reconciliation of what would have been Honestly, not really a real expectation that God ever had that we were going to be perfect, but the experience that we aren't, he chose to sacrifice in the middle. 
and not to just leave us to our sins. So when you choose to fill that gap with love, you are choosing what your heavenly father chose for you. When you decide to fill that gap with love, you are choosing what your heavenly father chose for you. And even when you confront because the gap has become too big, you are choosing to confront as your father chose to confront for you, which is not to condemn, but to sacrifice instead. So let me ask this question. What do you fill the gap with? What do you fill the gap with? What do you fill the gap with at work? What do you fill the gap with at home? Here's my prayer. Is that God would give us the wisdom to know exactly how to fill that gap. God would give us the wisdom to to understand what the narratives are that we are creating, and God would give us the courage to actually live this out. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The question is, does that describe us as believers? Now, I'll end with this. If you're in here, you're not a Christian, or you're on the fence of Christianity, not really sure where you are, what you believe. If Christians did this, how much different would you think about a Christian? Isn't this kind of the problem? That you're maybe in a season of rebellion, and they've created a negative narrative about you. We've created a negative narrative about you, about your thoughts, your hearts, your hopes, your intentions. And you see this context. My guess is, is if Christians did this in every area, in every arena, in every relationship, perhaps you would want to be a Christian because perhaps for the very first time you would see a real picture of love that assumes the best and is truthful when it's not there and confronts it from the perspective of positivity and assuming love. Let's pray. God, I ask and I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know where we do this. Pray for the people who are... um, in relationships that are difficult, that are really tough with this, that they would be empowered to live this out by the strength of your spirit. I pray for all single people that this would become the rhythm of their life. I'll pray for all dating and engaged people that this would become the rhythm of their life. I pray for all newly married people this would become the rhythm of their life. I pray for all uh, people who are, who are married and with kids or small kids or married and their kids are not small anymore, but they are off in college. God, I just pray for every single person, people who are married, people who used to be married, that this would begin to describe us. That from the deepest, most sincere place, we would see the person, and when there is that gap, we would fill that gap. And that our love would protect, our love would believe and trust, our love would hope, and our love would would endure, but not because we are incredible, but because we are simply living out a reflection of who you are, Jesus. And in those difficult conversations, would you give us the wisdom to check our narrative, if it's negative, at the door? And would you give us the ability to have the presence of mind to simply ask, to simply confront, 
But from a confrontation that's not the opposite of trust, from the confrontation that's not the opposite of love, but from a confrontation that comes from a place of love and honesty. And I pray that that would be a mirror of who you are, Jesus. A God who so loved us, he died for us. Though we irreplaceably broke that gap with our sin, you chose to place love in the gap between heaven and perfection and our rebellious reality. I pray that we would do the exact same thing. And God, as we are all in different places, would you give us the wisdom to know what to do, the wisdom to understand our, merit, our, 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 our narratives and our marriages, and would you give us the courage to act on it. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.